Well, good morning. It's great to have you with us this morning. Merry Christmas to you all. And uh, we're so glad that you joined us on our Christmas Eve Christmas service. Um, a couple of announcements to share with you this morning as we begin our service. First of all, if you're a visitor today, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. We hope that you feel welcome this morning. There are a couple uh, visitor cards in your hymn racks. If you could fill one of those out and hand them to myself or Pastor Bob as you leave today. Uh, we congratulate Nick Kerstetter and Riley Gonzer, who were married yesterday. The poinsettias displayed today are from those who donated a poinsettia in honor or in memory of a loved one. Um, if you donated a poinsettia, you can take it home after the service today. So you can take that home today. They still are in beautiful shape, and thank you for donating. Uh, a couple of things I want to point out. If you could open your bulletin, there's two inserts in there. One says, Read Scripture. One says, Winter Needs collection. Um, next week, Dylan Bowman's going to come up and talk about the Winter Needs collection, but um, let me just put a little plug in for it this morning. Um, we're going to be collecting uh, Winter Needs items, blankets, hats, socks, coats, gloves, sweaters, hand warmers, scarves um, for the homeless and needy in Halifax and Harrisburg area. There is going to be a donation uh, box placed outside the old foyer, also inside the church. So if you come by when the church isn't open, um, you can put it, or if you drive by the church, it's easier just to put it right outside. We'll make sure it comes in. Um, the plan is hopefully to get some of these in other places around our local community so that we're able to raise some of these things and, and give them to those who are in need. But Dylan's going to come up and talk a little bit more about that next week, um, but the boxes are out. The second one says, read scripture. Read scripture. Do you read your Bible? Have you ever tried getting into a regular devotional habit but find yourself giving up? You know, sometimes I believe that we all find ourselves um, wanting to do and get into the Word more, right? That's such a common thing that we hear. I want to get in the Word, get in the Word more. We're actually going to be doing something as a church family, 123 days of reading through the New Testament together. So we are going to give you a plan but we need your commitment to do that. So we're going to talk more about it next week, more about it the week after. Um, there's actually an app. It's called Read Scripture. So those of you who are a little more technological and enjoy technology, you can actually download this app on your iPad or your cell phone. It actually has the whole thing planned out for you, and it will remind you each day to do this. Those of you who are not as technological um, and prefer... Uh, using the hard copy of the Bible, we'll also have a copy printed for you. And, and the cool thing is this, that um, we're actually going to have different people from the church blogging about the scripture that you're going to be reading at the same time. So it won't be a blog every day, but there'll be a blog throughout the week that will kind of have a perspective on it that maybe you didn't see through it. So again, we're talking a little bit more about it next week. The plan is to kick this off on the 15th. Um, we are going to ask for a commitment from you. Otherwise, if we don't commit to it, it's easier to give up. Right, and we don't want to do that. And we want to do this as a family because we are family in Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? Gracious God, we are so thankful that we could gather together to lift up your name. Lord, we are so thankful for Christmas. We are so thankful for Jesus. Lord, we ask this morning that you would help us to glorify you in everything that we say and do. Lord, speak to our hearts and speak to our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing together? God rest ye merry gentlemen.
God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Sing that again. God rest you, Mary, gentlemen. God rest you, Mary, gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power and bring her gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Christmas, the angels 
I heard about this baby boy who came to earth to bring us joy. And I just want to sing this song for you. It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall and the major lift. With every breath I'm singing hallelujah. Shepherds left their flocks by night to see this baby wrapped in light. A host of angels led them all to you. It was just as the angels said, you'll find me in a major Rescue me, this baby boy would grow to be a man who'd one day die for me and you. My sins would drive the nails in you. This rugged cross was my cross too. Still every breath you drew was
Christmas. Before I pray, let me explain how this uh, candle lighting works uh, at the end of the service. Uh, you see in your bulletin it speaks of candle lighting. I hope you all have a candle where you're sitting right now. Um, that candle is going to be lit in a little while, and um, this is how it's going to work. Uh, at the end of my sermon, I'm going to pray. When I pray, the choir is going to move quietly to the loft behind me. Then, when I finish praying, uh, there'll be a couple of gals that will have candles already lit, and they will come to you along the side of the rows. Charlie, raise your hand if you need a candle. Charlie has a few candles here, extras. Anybody oh, back here? I think someone needs here in the middle. Um, then, once you receive your candle that is lit, please keep it upright, right? Don't ever tilt it. That's what the sleeve is for. So keep your, keep your candle upright, and then you're going to pass it to your neighbor beside you. They're going to take their candle sideways and put it into yours. They then will pass it on to another and another and another. And after a little bit of time, we'll all have our candles lit. The lights will come down. We will sing Joy to the World and Silent Night. Sarah will give us an intro to both of those songs. There's going to be no song leader. It's kind of like Christmas Eve service where there's no song leader, and then we'll just join in. Uh, the words will be on the screen behind me. Uh, you won't need your hymn books. It's going to be dark in here. Lights have been down. And uh, then at the end of the two songs, please extinguish your candle, blow it out, and uh, then the choir is going to sing uh, a closing song and will be dismissed. Got it? Good. <laughs> Father, we thank you this morning. We are truly grateful that you, Father, have loved the world, the creation in which you have made mankind in such a way that you would send your only begotten Son into this world. Father, we thank you for the Christmas story. We thank you for the willingness of Jesus to come into the world and though a babe in a manger, yet the Son of God. We thank you for salvation, which comes through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man, no man comes to the Father except through me. Father, we thank you for the wonderful and great plan of salvation which you have put in place so that we might be rescued, delivered from our sins, and forgiven forever. Father, for that story of Christmas, we thank you. We thank you too, Lord, that Jesus was willing to go to the cross, as we just heard in song, a cross that was cruel, a cross that was bloody, 
but a cross that held our Savior. A cross in which when Jesus died, the sins of the world were placed upon him. A cross, Lord, that stood there on Calvary's hill. We thank you, Lord, that the wages of sin is death, but, Father, the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus died. He took our place. He stood in our place. And, Father, we thank you for that wonderful substitutionary atonement. But, Father, he didn't stay in the grave. The Bible says on the third day he came to life. Father, we thank you that Jesus today sits at your right hand, that, Father, he is truly the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And my prayer this morning is that each person here in this sanctuary knows Jesus as their own personal Savior, that they have acknowledged their sins, they have accepted Jesus received him into their lives, and they know now that they are a child of yours. Father, what a wonderful Christmas it would be if someone turned from sin and turned to you for their salvation. So my prayer is that, Father, each one here knows you. Father, you are a great and wonderful God. We thank you, Lord, for the way you've led us already through this service Continue, we pray, and may you be honored and glorified in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Leonard's going to come and lead us in O Come All Ye Faithful, hymn number 103.
pastor's on his way up now to bring a message to us. I'm going to ask Tony if he'll come and join us on the pulpit, <coughs> on the <coughs> platform. <coughs> It's Christmas again. <laughs> what happened to the year? Seems like not long ago since we did this before. <laughs> it gets shorter all the time. But <clears throat> it's time of the year that we want to present to our pastors a monetary gift of an appreciation for their ministry among us, one for Pastor Bob and one for Tony. <clears throat> and we do appreciate their ministry. That's a monetary gift. But in behalf of the congregation, I'd like to express our appreciation in a verbal way to their leadership here at the church. They are shepherds of the flock, and we really praise the Lord that we have two good men who are very sincere in their work and do an excellent job. So we wish them a Merry Christmas and a very successful New Year. So thank you, Pastor Tony. And we certainly do thank all of you for your support and your love. It's been shown in uh, so many different ways, and we greatly, greatly appreciate that. It was a couple of weeks ago that my wife and I had a chance to play hooky here at church. And uh, we went to a church in Lewistown where a friend of ours, pastors, uh, they were our best friends, Howard and Mary Houts through Lancaster Bible College. Uh, we were the older students. Uh, we, were the student, or the, yeah, we were the students who had children. And we lived off campus. They lived in an apartment, and we had a house in Neffsville near Lancaster. And um, we were best friends. Uh, our children were about the same age, and we would just pop in. You know, no warning, we would just show up at each other's door. It was that kind of a relationship. But over the years, you know how that goes. You know, you begin to go this way. And we hadn't been with them for a long time over the last 30 years. But recently, we've been trying to connect a little bit more. So two weeks ago, we were up in Lewistown. And um, I, I, we walked in. We stood there in the lobby. I was looking for Howd, um, you know, to be dressed in, a, dressed in a coat and a tie. Here he comes in jeans and a shirt and cowboy boots. Um, they have two services. The early one, he said, I was dressed like in coats and a, and a coat and a tie. But then he does a whole wardrobe change for the uh, more contemporary service at 11 o'clock. And so uh, he uh, was dressed a little bit differently. We went out to eat and had a great time. But he started his sermon talking about a movie, It's a Wonderful Life, the Christmas classic that was produced back in 1946, produced in black and white, starring James Stewart and Donna Reed. I'm sure many of you have seen that movie. It's a movie about a man by the name of George Bailey. And George has big dreams. George has plans to travel the world, to go to college and to, to build things. But he has to give up all of that because he's a kind man and wants to help others. He kind of gets lost in the humdrum of life. And although George is an integral part of the story, he's almost forgotten, at least there in the community. 
And if not forgotten, certainly they've taken advantage of his kindness. When I heard the plot of the story and heard about poor George, it reminded me of a Christmas character. His name is Joseph. And although Joseph may not have been forgotten or isn't forgotten in the Christmas story, he's certainly silent. Did you know that there's not one single quote in the Bible attributed to Joseph? Not one single quote. Not one, why me? Not one, how can this be? This morning, I want to focus on this man whose name is Joseph, the one who God chose to raise his son. We don't know much about Joseph. We know he was a carpenter. We know that he had royal blood ran through his veins. But as Mary was the perfect vessel through which Jesus would come, Joseph was that perfect father to raise the Son of God. And so this morning, let's look at the life of Joseph. And as I said last week, let's put ourselves in the shoes of Mary. Let's try to put ourselves in the shoes of Joseph. What would that have been like to have been chosen by Almighty God to raise his son. Turn, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter 1. Last week, we looked at the birth foretold, or the birth announced, as Gabriel came to Mary and announced the birth. This morning, we look at the birth described. The birth described. In Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, these are the words of this synoptic gospel. We said there are three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus is found here. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. This is how it came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will, be, will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And he did not consummate their marriage 
until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph certainly was not an ordinary man. He was a man who was totally committed to doing the will of God. He was more concerned about what God wanted for him than about what he himself wanted. This passage reveals a man who possesses certain characteristics that made him special, that made him a man of God. And I want to point out some of these things that mark him as that. The first point, and the first thing I see in this passage that I just read, is the tragedy that marred his life. The tragedy that marred his life. Now put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Try to imagine being Joseph at this time. Your life is pretty well planned. You're pledged to be married to a young lady. The wedding plans are probably already arranged. You're thinking of settling down in Nazareth, continuing on with your business and carpentry, and you will live happily ever after. And then Mary... breaks the bombshell and says, Joseph, I'm pregnant. All his plans, all of his dreams, everything he was thinking through have just been shattered. He's just been crushed. He thought Mary really loved him. He knew the child was not his. And there's only one conclusion you can come to. This one who I'm about to marry has been unfaithful. His plans come to a halt. It's it's like his heart has just been ripped out of his chest. And now he's faced with a dilemma. The Bible says that Joseph was a man who knew the law. He knew the law inside and out. He knew what the law stated. He knew Deuteronomy well. He knew in Deuteronomy 22 where it said that adultery was punishable by stoning. He knew the law. He knew Deuteronomy 24 where it said, give her a bill of divorcement and send her away. What is he to do? What is this man of God to do? What is the right thing to do? What is the right course to take at this point? And we read in verse 19, it says this, but Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. In other words, he would sign the appropriate papers but not have her judged publicly and be stoned to death. I I can't imagine being in his position right now. I'm sure his heart was broken, but for him, this was the best course of action. 
It was the only option that was open. You know, what a portrait of the harsh reality of life. What a portrait of the harsh reality of life. We make our plans. We have our life all in order. Our ducks are all in order. Then all of a sudden, tragedy strikes. Something comes into our lives so unexpected. We never dreamed it would be this way. Our hopes, our dreams... It looks as though this is the worst thing in life that could ever happen to me. And oftentimes we're like Joseph, I suppose, at this moment. We are blind to the fact that God is working. Behind the scenes, but God is working. As a matter of fact, it was God who shattered his dreams. It was God who crushed his hopes. It was God who brought tragedy into Joseph's life. You know, the things that happen in our lives, they're not accidents. They're not accidents. But the things that happen to us are carefully planned and arranged and designed by an almighty God who wants us to grow, who wants us to mature, who wants us to become like his very son. We would never choose the plans of God. But the Bible says that trials produce perseverance, and perseverance produces maturity. James tells us that. Count it all joy when you fall into the various trials and the tragedies of life because God is working these things out to bring you to maturity, to bring you to become like the Son of God. In Isaiah chapter 55, we quote these verses often, but they're so important for us to understand. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God does things differently than the way we would want them done. If we had our way, we would never, ever choose tragedy. We'd never choose trials and hardships and troubles. We don't want that. But these are some of the times in which God is so able to work in us to bring about the maturity that we so desperately need. And in the end, when everything is said and done, we see that it was his plan, and it was always right, and it was always the best. Last week, I ended on the note with Mary, as Gabriel came to Mary and said to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. And I believe that with all of my heart, for there is nothing in this world that is impossible with God. God is sovereign. God sits on a throne, and God calls the shots. 
But that doesn't always mean that the path for Christians is a path of comfort and ease. You know, I think of Joseph and Mary, and I say to myself, God, why did you allow them to go through all the difficulties and troubles that they had to go through? Why, God, would you say that you have to go to your hometown and pay a tax? Here's Joseph and Mary, Mary about to deliver, and now they have to travel 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. God, why would you do that? And then they get to Bethlehem. And there's no room in the inn? Come on, God. I mean, that's a pretty easy miracle, right, to perform. I mean, just allow for one vacancy in this inn that, you're, that Joseph and Mary can go and, and just have a more comfortable place than, than a stable. And then when Mary delivers, the threat of Herod, who threatens the little boys two years and younger, and so Joseph and Mary now have to leave Bethlehem and travel all the way south into Egypt. And then we believe, although it's not recorded in Scripture, that sometime before the 30th birthday of Jesus, Joseph died. And Jesus had to be the head of the household and take care of his mother. Why, God? I mean, this is the couple you chose. And yet they have trouble after trouble after trouble. But then I think also of the Son of God. I think of Jesus. And I wonder why God chose for Jesus to have to suffer and die on the cross, the cruelest punishment imaginable. But life isn't always easy, is it? Life isn't always easy. God's will is not always the path of comfort and ease. And for this couple, and for many of us, tragedy strikes. Tragedy strikes when we least expect it. But we know something. We know how much God loves us. And we know that all things work together for good. The tragedy that marred the life of Joseph. But notice the task that marked his life. We continue to read this text and we, we find in verse 20, but, but after he had considered this, after he considered all of his options, which there weren't many, but after he thought through this, what am I going to do in this dilemma? What will I do with Mary? After he thinks through this, it appears to me that he's probably exhausted and weary because it says that he falls asleep. And while he's sleeping, he has a dream. And in this dream, the angel comes to explain to Joseph everything that has now happened. Joseph, let me help you understand what is taking place. Mary's pregnancy is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife. Don't divorce her. 
embrace the child, and name him Jesus. Because this son of yours will save people from their sins. This is the task, this is the mission, Joseph, that I am giving to you. Take Mary to be your wife and embrace the child and name him Jesus. You know, salvation is a gift. Jesus came to save people from their sins. We read in John chapter 1 and verse 12 that as many as receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Salvation is a gift. God offers mankind a gift. Here is my son. Receive him as you would run down stairs, kids. And there under the tree are these packages, all nicely wrapped with bows. And you run down and you grab that package that has your name on it. And you rip it open. You receive that gift. The gift that has been given to you by someone else. You receive that gift and you open it. And the Bible says in this text, we are to receive the gift that God has given to us. And the gift is his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son, so that we who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's a gift that needs to be received. It's a gift that needs to be believed. God gave, and he asked you to receive. You know, the Bible says that if we acknowledge our sin, and that's why Jesus had to die, he died for our sins. He, he, that, that was the plan of God. He died for the sins of the world. The Bible says we've all sinned and we've fallen short of God's glory. We've all committed disobedience against the holy God. We've, we've violated his standards. And because we've fallen short of what God expects of us, we need our sins to be forgiven. I've said it before, the greatest need in the world today is to have your sins forgiven. For without sins forgiven, the Bible says we live throughout eternity without Christ. We're condemned. But when you receive him, believe that he died on that cross for your sins, and ask him to come into your heart as your own personal savior, the Bible says you become a child of his. You're given eternal life. That has been my prayer for you this morning. That you have placed your trust and faith in Christ and became a child of his. There's another name that's given here. It's the name Emmanuel. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 7 where it speaks back there of the virgin birth and that uh, this son will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. On Sunday nights in prayer meeting, we're taking a look at the types in the Old Testament and the anti-type in Christ in the New. And we looked last week at uh, the tabernacle in the Old Testament as a type of Jesus. Because in that tabernacle, there is the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant, where it said where uh, God dwelt with his people. And then we come over into the New Testament in John chapter 1, and it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word, he was God. 
And down further in verse 14 it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally means he, he pitched his tent among us. He tabernacled among us. God came into our world. Becoming a babe in a manger. And here his name is to be Emmanuel. God with us. That means Jesus is with us today. He really is. And so when tragedy strikes and when trouble surrounds and when trials begin to close in, Jesus said, come unto me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and hearts are burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you a peace that passes all understanding. Just before Jesus left, he said, peace I leave you. Peace I give to you. The angels were out, or the shepherds were out in the field, and the angels came to them one night. And the Bible says there was a host of angels. And when they came to the shepherds, they said this. They said, glory to God in the highest. I want to earth peace, goodwill toward men. That wasn't an external peace. They, during this time, they actually were experiencing Roman peace. A tranquility. There were not a lot of wars and battles and all those things taking place. But what the angels spoke of was an internal peace, an internal tranquility, a rest that the world is unable to give. Jesus has said back in Isaiah chapter 9, He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince that brings peace into our hearts and into our souls. I don't know that Joseph understood all of this as the angel was explaining it all to him. I'm not sure at this point he, he grasped the importance of all of this, but he knew his task. He knew his mission. He knew what he was being asked to do. Take Mary to be your wife. Raise your son and call him Jesus. You know, moms and dads, you who still have small children, your task and mission is to raise those children in the admonition of the Lord. You're going to wink someday, and you're going to look at your kids, and they're going to be grown. They're going to be away at college, and you'll say, as Leonard said this morning, where did Christmas go? You're going to say, where did the lives of these little kids go? Joseph was given a mission. Take Mary to be your wife, embrace your child, and raise him and call him Jesus. Moms and dads, your task as these little guys are growing up is to raise them the best you know how. And then we have the testimony that measured his life. After the angel gave him all of this information, we read in verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. Last week, we looked at Mary. Mary was 
given the announcement by Gabriel. And after the angel gave to Mary all the information <laughs> as how all this was going to take place, Mary said this, let it be to me as you have said. Not my will, but as let your will be done. Here we have Joseph saying the same thing. Joseph is completely obedient to what the angel instructs him to do. Many men at this point, I suppose, would have walked away from Mary. But Joseph didn't do that. Joseph was completely obedient to God and takes Mary home as his wife. You know what obedience got Joseph? Do you know what obedience got Joseph? Scorn from his family. Embarrassment in the community. Laughs from his friends. But you know what? Right now, at this moment, Joseph doesn't care. Joseph is not interested in what people think. Joseph simply wants to carry out the will of God. In spite of maybe questions and fears he may have, concerns, Joseph says yes to the command of God and obeys at any cost. What a testimony of the man who has been chosen to raise Jesus. And when Joseph says yes, he and Mary now are in perfect harmony. Perfect harmony. Willing to embrace the child and raise him and call his name Jesus. God chose this couple. He chose them together to raise his son. And together they will do that. They will bring Jesus into the world and they'll raise him to become a young man. We read in Luke chapter 2 and verse 40, and the child grew, he became strong, and he was with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. It must have been a joy for Joseph and Mary to watch Jesus grow up. What a blessing it must have been for Mary and Joseph to experience parenthood to experience parenthood, raising the very Son of God. No, life wasn't easy. It rarely is. Being in God's will isn't always a path of ease and comfort, but it is always the best place to be, the only place to be. Joseph trusted God, even though he must have had a list of questions a mile long. He trusted God because he believed that God's will for him was the very best. The very best. And Christmas happened because of that trust. By, the hymn writer says it well, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and to obey.
Father, we come before you this morning and thank you. We thank you so much, Lord, for the Christmas story. We thank you, Father, for your Son who has come into our world to give his life a ransom for many. And my prayer once again, Lord, is that each person here understands that good news, that gospel, admits their sins, and asks Jesus to be their personal Savior. Father, you're a wonderful God. We thank you for this good time you've given us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
Merry Christmas, and you're dismissed.